Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, good morning and a glorious Lord's Day greeting to each of you. Welcome to First Day. What a thrill to be here in the fall season for our Lord. I can smell those pumpkin spice lattes all the way from the Fellowship Cafe right in here. This is a great season, not only for our taste buds, for sure, but also for our hearts. And we have a great lineup for the Lord, and I'm looking forward to it so much. We're in the commands of Christ this morning. Beautiful music, great worship. My heart is touched. Our installment today is four commands for walking in the Spirit. Now, God calls on his people to have a spirit-controlled life. To say that the American society, for that matter, the Western world, is largely upside down and out of control is an understatement. I am in constant disbelief at the weird, the wacky, and the woke in our society. For example, I just read this week that the Teachers Association of Toronto put out a pamphlet for teachers calling it non-violent language that we should start using. They said we need to remove militaristic phrases, suggested some alternatives. For example, they said, don't ever say kill two birds with one stone. That's way too violent. Say get two for the price of one. Okay, I understand that. And for sure, don't say there's more than one way to skin a cat. Definitely not good. Skinning cats is just not good at all. (laughs) I saw a hairless cat the other day, and all I could think when I saw it was, why? What is that about? But anyway. Say rather than there's more than one way to skin a cat. Say there are different ways to solve a problem. Okay, that sounds good. And then instead of you're dead meat. Say, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> and we are in serious trouble. I also read that the New York Transit Authority officials said that we should not refer to people as criminals. We should adopt better language than that. We should call them criminally challenged or legally impaired. Personally, I think someone in that office is brain challenged for sure. And then in Longmont, Colorado, they said we've got to change these street signs that say dead end. It's too extreme. So they put the words no outlet. There you go. The fact of the matter is uh, our world really is crazy, getting crazier all the time. Insane, in fact. The fact of the matter is many lives are also out of control. I heard of a woman who had damaged her automobile in an accident. In order to collect the insurance, she had to fill out a report for what happened. And so here's what she wrote. I was backing my car out of the garage and I lost sight of the driveway and I got on the lawn. Unfortunately, I went across the lawn through the hedge, knocked over a garbage can, then took out the mailbox and then went down over the curb and hit my neighbor's automobile. 
and then I lost control. <laughs> and then you lost control. The fact of the matter is uh, many today, I'm afraid, have lost control, not only of their vehicles, but they've lost control of their marriages and their homes, their families, their very lives. Now, the question this morning is, how do we get back into control? How do we have stable, God-centered, balanced, controlled lives? Well, the answer is clear. Following the Bible command to have a spirit-controlled life. Here's what Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, we're going through commands in the New Testament, and there are many different commands, and the commands we're in right now are the let commands. And in this case, let us, some things that we should do or not do. And here it says we should walk in the Spirit. The Greek word there for walk is the word stoheo. It is a military term of walking, marching in file, single file, to a battle, keeping in step with the one in front of you. Well, Jesus Christ is the one that's in front of us. He is the leader, and we are to follow His footsteps, take the steps that He takes. And follow every command implicitly. The fact is, Jesus knows the way far better. In fact, he knows everything perfectly. In the world that we live in, there are a lot of landmines. There are a lot of ways to get blown up. And if we're not careful, we will. But if we'll follow him, he knows exactly where to go. He knows the way through. And so if we'll keep doing that, follow the Spirit step by step, moment by moment, day after day, year after year, we will have a successful life. We'll have a Spirit-controlled life. And so this morning, we're going to consider the four commands of the Spirit-filled walk. Four practical laws that if we will walk in them, we'll have control, Spirit control in our life. And so let's bow for prayer, if you would, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Lord, I thank you for the great privilege of being here in church today. And Father, I know there are many who wish they could be, really. They're not feeling well or for some reason they can't be. And Lord, we do just lift up our brothers and sisters in Israel and Ukraine and all over the world that are persecuted. And for those that may not be feeling well that are at home right now, Lord, we pray you just touch, reach out and touch them. And Lord, be with us here in the services today. We thank you for what you're going to do. Teach us. Holy Spirit, we yield to you. We ask you to lead us into your word in Christ's name. Amen. The question that we all ask ourselves is, who is in control? Every person, every home, every business, every government is controlled by something. Or maybe we might say someone. Someone bigger, something bigger than just one person. According to Scripture, that which controls is either the flesh, the world, the devil, or God. Those are the four choices. Everyone is controlled by the flesh, the world, the devil, or God. Now, the gold standard, of course, is to be controlled by God. That's called the Spirit-controlled life. How, then, do we know what the Spirit wants us to do? 
Well, we could wait for some sort of an extraordinary manifestation. I heard of one religious group a couple of years ago claiming that while they're in the services, gold dust fell down on them in the services. Apparently, to them, that was a sign of God's favor. Well, I will say, if gold comes down, I want chunks of it, but at any rate, and that would be God's favor for sure. Others felt like they saw a statue representing Mary crying real tears, although the tears weren't of water but of blood. Now, I think thinking people have reason for pause before accepting those kind of statements of phenomena, but there is one place where there is no hesitation, and that is in the commands of God as found in Scripture. Thank God there is a more sure word than these phenomena, and so many people I talk to say, oh, that's a sign from God, or that's a sign. Well, the truth is we have a sign that's been given to us. It's called the written word of God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, if you would, please, 2 Peter 1 and verse 19. We have also, we have it. It's not something that's future or might be here. No, we have a sure word of prophecy. We have it already. Wherein to you do well that you take heed. We don't need gold dust or we don't need some phenomena. No, we have the sure word. Well, what is it? Verse 21 clarifies. The prophecy came, it's the scripture, the written scriptures, came as holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible is the Holy Spirit's love letter to mankind. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father teamed up to give us this book, and the Holy Spirit spoke it to these men of God. And so the gold standard is found in the wonderful scripture written by the Holy Spirit Himself. I would like you to find, if you would, with me this morning, the phenomenal church epistle of Galatians. We'll put the scriptures up on the screen here. But Galatians will be our main text for this morning. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. That amazing, great man of God, the Apostle Paul, told fellow believers in chapter 5, verse 14, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love. There you go. We want to fulfill the law. That's a perfect thing. It's a great standard. It's the gold standard. And how do we fulfill it? By loving, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving God, fulfilling the law. There are hundreds of Old Testament laws. We, of course, know of the Ten Laws, the Ten Commandments, but there are many other laws as well as those. And then there are laws in the New Testament, some 900 of them. And so we've been going through those for several weeks, and we have been faithfully looking at the Scriptures, the commands of God. Now I want to take a moment to set up the message by impressing upon us the great value of the commands of God, the written Word, the standards of God. A few months ago, I was shocked, and many others were shocked, when an East Coast evangelical megachurch pastor falsely said these statements. While all the Old Testament commands are inspired, they are not especially for the church. 
what he was saying was there are lots of things in the Bible that aren't for us. Well, that's news for me. But at any rate, it's no surprise then that just this past week, that same megachurch pastor asked a self-proclaimed homosexual, same-sex so-called married, which it's not really marriage, but same-sex marriage man to preach at a church conference. Well, now we know why he doesn't like the commands of God. And no wonder he spoke disparaging of God's uh, wise, albeit countercultural laws. Now let's look together at these wonderful laws. Three relationships that we can have towards the commands of God. And I take some inspiration from these the thoughts from the late Dr. Adrian Rogers. First of all, when we look at the commands of God, we can look at them with an eye of license. Foolish people see the law as their enemy. The fact of the matter is there are some that just want anything to do with the commands of God, the laws of God that just sound very uh, difficult to them because uh, anything that says command or law might put a check on my lifestyle, put a, a rain on my party. They have, want a life with no boundaries. Now, why is it that some people want to just live in license? Well, Romans 4 and verse 15 says the reason, because where no law is, there's no transgression. Well, if I don't know the laws or if I'm not told the laws or if I don't have to be around the laws, then I'm not doing anything wrong because, you know, as long as I don't know them, I can't break them. Well, if there are no moral laws, you don't have to feel guilty. That's not a good thing. As one wisely said, men are like rivers. They get crooked by following the path of least resistance. We need these commands. They are wonderful for us. There is a relationship that we have towards the law of God. First of all, license. Second of all, legalism. Deceived people see the law as their savior. Now, this is not only true of some misinformed Christians, but of all major religions. And I've talked with people from every major religion and many other religions. I've talked with people from Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Judaism. And I love them all. And I love to chat, to chat with them and tell them what God says. But each one of these follows different sets of laws. And in some cases, like in the case of Judaism, they actually even follow some of the Bible laws, Old Testament Bible laws, but they follow those. There are things that they do and there are things that they don't do. And it's all for one purpose, to achieve eternal life. And so in their mind, they've got to make sure they do it all perfectly. And they suppose that if they perfectly follow every command, that they'll get to go to heaven. Well, I suppose that maybe that is true. If you could possibly fulfill everything the Bible says to a T without ever making a mistake. But the fact is, no one's ever done that. We need a Savior. That's why we have the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for our sins with the penalty of His blood. And that is why Jesus Christ came. Anybody that knows anything about the history of boxing knows perhaps the greatest boxer of all time is a man by the name of Cassius Clay, the late Cassius Clay, also known popularly as Muhammad Ali. He was asked before he died what his faith meant to him. 
his things that he said was actually put in the Reader's Digest. And a very self-deceived Muhammad Ali said the following, What does my faith mean to me? It means a ticket to heaven. One day we're all going to die, and God's going to judge us, our good and our bad deeds. Then if our bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you get to go to heaven. Now, there are some things about that that's correct. Hell is very real, and heaven is very real. But those who go to hell do so not because their list of good works is too short. No, they go there because their belief in themselves is much too strong. That's why people go to hell is because they believe they can earn their way to heaven. The Holy Spirit couldn't have been any more clear than when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It is a gift. It is a gift. It is the free gift of Jesus Christ, not of works. Far be it, not of works. If that was the case, people would boast. And so there are three relationships that we have towards the law. Some people have a license concept. They don't want nothing to do with the law or anything that sounds like it might restrain them and be a boundary to them. Others see it as their ticket to heaven. Unfortunately, that's not going to work. And then there are those who understand that the law is actually a law of liberty. Number three, wise people see that the law is their friend. The boundaries of Scripture are actually wonderful things for us. They are a reminder of our love relationship. And I was blessed this morning with all the wonderful songs about the love of God because really that is what the commands are all about. They're not about hatred. They're about love. Remember what we read a few moments ago back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14? All the laws are fulfilled in one word, love. Actually, that is a quote from Leviticus chapter 19. The Old Testament is full of the love of God, as is the New Testament. Did you know that every time that God says, thou shalt not, he's actually saying, don't hurt yourself. And every time that God says, thou shalt, he's really saying, help yourself to happiness. Commandments are beautiful. They are wonderful guardrails for our life. Now, my wife and I and family at times, we have driven to South Lake Tahoe. Almost always we go over Highway 50. And when we do, we, of course, crest the summit there, Echo Summit, all 7,300-foot elevation. And then you start winding your way down with that sheer cliff next to you. And every time I go there, I'm thinking, oh, boy, that looks very scary. But you know one thing? I look at those guardrails that they have placed along that edge. And when I look at those, I, I don't look at those and say, oh, that is so repressive, so many restrictions, so right-wing, that's just so terrible to have all these guardrails in our life. No, I am grateful. I'm so grateful for those guardrails. They are a blessing to me. They give me safety and liberty. And that's the way we find in Scripture. Bible restraints don't freeze us. They free us. They free us up to serve God and to really have our best life. And so then how do we 
get strength to live a Christ-centered life? How do we live a Bible-based life? Well, it says back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, walk in the Spirit. That's how we do it. Well, how do you walk in the Spirit? Well, remember that word walk means to walk in a straight line. It means to follow the footsteps of the one in front of you. Keep in, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Don't march around on your own like you used to play follow the leader. Walk in the Spirit. Now, I've never had to officially march. I was never in the military, not in the school band. About the closest I ever did to marching was being a groomsman for a wedding that had a militaristic lady who was the wedding coordinator. She was a nice lady, but boy, she was strict. And she expected flawless execution of our getting off the platform. And she made sure it was step, pause, step, pause. Not too complicated. I even messed that up, I must admit. I saw a little video. I don't know if we have it here, but I saw a little video of a guy who couldn't march in step, and I had to laugh because I said, you know what, that would be me. I don't know what that guy's saying, but he's not happy, I can tell you right now. I had to put that up there because you can turn it off. Thank you, guys. I had to laugh. That's me right there. I just can't march. I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you one thing. I want to be in step with the Holy Spirit for sure. Now, what does it look like then to march in line with the Holy Spirit? Well, God gives us four commands here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, and then we'll add one in chapter 6. First of all, don't be conceited. Don't be conceited. We're in the incredible epistle of Galatians, verse 26. Let us not be desirous. Let us not. Now that is a command. It's kind of put in a di different way. It's, it's, a, it's still a directive though, not a permissive statement. Let us not. Don't do it, he's saying. Don't be desirous of vain glory. Vain glory. It means to become boastful. The idea is it's just an exhortation to be alert to the ever tendency that we have of puffing up and thinking we're better than somebody else. It's an interesting word there, vain glory. It's a Greek word, kinodoxos. We get our word doxology from the second word in that statement. It means empty praise. Doxology means praise. Empty praise or to be puffed up. Now, when I was growing up, uh, I had this puffer fish on my wall in my house. And it was about the size of a softball and had little spikies all over it. Well, I was surprised to find out that that puffer fish actually was just a tiny little minnow. And then all of a sudden they blow up. I don't know how they do that. But that's what we are like. We're like tiny little minnows and yet some reason we get all puffed up. We need to watch out for that exaggerated self-image. Boasting when we have nothing to boast about. There's an old story, but I love to tell it. A young sister in the church, and 
she went to her seasoned pastor. She went for counseling, and she said, Pastor, what can I do about my pride? Every time I look in the mirror, I think I'm so much more beautiful than others. The minister replied, Sister, that's not pride. That's a mistake. <laughs> Reformer Martin Luther wrote, There's no village so small but that two peasants will be there that will fight over who is better than everybody else. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory. Now, of course, desiring an encouraging word and saying something appreciative is always nice, but craving publicity and making sure we have enough likes on our accounts or whatever is not walking in the Spirit. Theologian Charles Ryrie said this, a man's response to praise is the truest test of his character. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 27, verse 21. As the fining pot for silver and as the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. How do you test the purity of silver and gold? You put it in the fire. The same thing happens by a human heart. And the fire that it's tested by, strangely enough, is fame, is praise. And when we get that praise and when we get those good words, what happens to us? A little praise makes us more thankful to God. That's good. If it makes us more diligent to improve ourselves anymore, great. If it makes us into an even more wise person, wonderful. Andrew Murray, the devotional writer, said, The truth is this. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. First of all, he says, if you want to walk in the Spirit, if you want to have that gold standard, you want to have that good life, the best life, don't be conceited. Number two, don't be contentious. Stop being so argumentative and quarrelsome and cantankerous. I've heard people say, you know, there's only two types of people in the world, those who see the glass half full and those who see the glass half empty. I've lived long enough to know, however, I think there's another and that is the complainer who is upset because it's not bottled water. Verse number 26, provoking one another. It's from two words, forward and to call, kaleo, common Greek word. It actually is like a call to combat. It's like throwing down a, a challenge. It's really like the word provoking. Most commentaries feel like it's meaning arguing over minor, trivial, religious, theological debates. And I'm not talking about getting in an octagon, you know, Franklin Graham with Joel Osteen or something, you know, like duking it out. No, we're talking about a war of words. The idea is some people get a little spiritual knowledge, a little Bible info. They get some of their theological opinions, and boy, watch out. The vainglory just starts rising up. They become unable or probably more likely unwilling to balance truths in Scripture. They become divisive. They become demanding. Here's what Brother James said about that in James chapter 3 and verse 13. He said, who is a wise man? Who is someone who's really truly wise? Someone who's endued with knowledge among you. He says, here's what I'll tell you with their life. Let him show out a good conversation. That basically means lifestyle. In all the things he works, all of his good things he does, with meekness of wisdom. Did you see that word? Meekness of wisdom. 
A person who has wisdom with meekness knows what's essential and non-essential in the things of God, knows what's the right time and what is poor timing, what is necessary and unnecessary. Apparently in the church, the Galatian church, Paul said, look, folks, come on now, quit poking each other, quit throwing down challenges and arguing about this thing and that thing, creating a hubbub over non-essentials. He said it's crazy and it's destroying our church. Now, in 40-plus years of ministry and dealing with thousands of people, as you might imagine, we've had some challenges, some provoking words that we've had to deal with occasionally. And as I look back on those, I can say that almost to a one, they were all rooted in this very same problem, vain glory, this puffed-up thinking. I can remember one particular brother's provoking. It comes to mind, I guess, because it was so over the top. But essentially, it had nothing to do with more than his opinion. Looking back, I think the absurdity of it just, I've often shook my head to think, why? What was that about? You know, it was a sermon. I read, uh, I googled how many words is in the average sermon. And they gave a difference between, you know, different churches. But um, a 45-minute sermon, probably about 5,000 words. So my messages are about 45 minutes. So 5,000 words. And this particular brother took exception with three words. Three non-essential words out of 5,000. And really, it was only, it was a minor point, and it was only his opinion. And I thought, how sad, because his acidic reaction, his campaigning for his opinion, had hurt the faith of precious lambs of God. New attenders that just were devastated. Also, that he could puff out his spiritual chest and say, I am right. How incredibly sad. And that's what Paul was saying. That is not the Spirit. I don't know what Spirit is, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul said in this verse, one another. The sharing of negative sentiments between people and groups of people brings a malignancy. You know, health officials call that cancer clusters. It's things that can occur in the soil or in the environment or in the water. And it just becomes toxic. How tragic when these cancer clusters occur and people put things on media or they tell things to others and it hurts the cause of Christ. I think founding father Benjamin Franklin nailed it when he said, Any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. Don't be conceited. Don't be contentious. And number three, if you want to walk in the Spirit, don't be condemning. Don't be so sore and sour all the time. Come on now. Come on. Don't be like that. Envying one another. Now, actually, these are graduating phrases. And that is, vainglory provokes contention. Contention produces envy. Envying one another. How often it happens when one brother, one sister has a little more success, a little more something than his brother or sister, and someone then begins to find fault in them. The fact of the matter is the spirit of envy is in all of us. We might say, well, it's not in me. Well, the fact of the matter is be careful to what we say because it can get up in any one of us. When we feel a grudging, a discontent from a person's possessions they have or achievements or their qualities, 
You know, the word is envy is an interesting Latin word. It means to the second part of the word, V, V-Y, it's the idea for video, in video, or looking at something, or looking at somebody with these eyes of hatred. Here's what the apostle had cautioned earlier in the chapter, chapter 5, verse 15, Galatians, but if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. It destroys the chemistry of a growing church when people are envying and complaining and upset. Envy destroyed the lives of Joseph's brothers when he was shown favor by God. And it was envy that destroyed Saul's heart. He was so upset and jealous about David. Author Gordon MacDonald gave an insightful fable. Listen. The devil was once crossing the Libyan desert. He came upon a spot where some fiends were tormenting a holy man of God. The, the sainted man easily shook off their evil suggestions. The devil watched their failures and then stepped forward to give them a lesson. He said to his fellow imps, he said, oh, what you do is much too crude. Permit me for a moment to show you how to get this man. And with that, he whispered to the holy man, your brother has just been made bishop of Alexandria. At that, the holy hermit, the man of God, scowl of malignancy, of envy, clouded his face. That, the devil said to his fellow fiends, is how you do it. You get them envious and you got them. Four commands for walking in the spirit. Don't be conceited. Don't be contentious. Don't be condemning. Come on. Be considerate. On the opposite hand, do be considerate. Chapter 6 and verse number 10, another let us command. Look at verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good. Or it means do good. Do it. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Friends, this life is full of opportunities for doing good. We have to have our eyes open to see You'd say, well, I don't really know what to do, folks. There are so many opportunities all around us. Once upon a time, there was a shoe company that sent two salesmen to Africa to determine the market potential for their products. One salesman was sent to the east coast of Africa, the other salesman to the west. Both salesmen completed the basic survey of the market, called back to the office. The salesman sent to the east coast reported, no one here wears any shoes. No market for shoes here. The other salesman sent a message. No one here wears any shoes. There's a huge market for shoes here. Send us inventory and send it fast. You know, the fact of the matter is it's just all how we look at it. In John chapter 15, he gave us the answer. John 15, Jesus said, you've not chosen me. I've chosen you. I've ordained you. What? Ordained? That sounds like a real Bible word. It is. Everybody is an ordained by the Holy Spirit that you should go and bring forth fruit. God says, get out there as an ordained minister and bring forth fruit. The late evangelist Billy Graham said, life is a glorious opportunity. And if we fail in this and yet we succeed in everything else, our life has been a failure. You know, it never ceases to amaze me. I drive 
by places on the Sunday morning, the church. They're busy out there working and doing this and doing that. and All the time, just not even giving God a second thought. Like, you have a clean house, you have a nice yard, nice car, did your fence or whatever, but God gets nothing? I mean, is that life? Is that success? Friend, what a life it is to serve God. 1800s, well-known English writer John Ruskin said, Sojourn in every place as if you meant to spend your life there, never omitting an opportunity of doing a kindness, speaking a true word, or making a friend. The idea is opportunity. Notice what it says, as you have opportunity. Throughout the New Testament, that same word is usually translated as time, or so then as you have time. But it's not speaking about a time on the clock especially, although there's a little bit of that. It's more the word season, and that's why it says opportunity here. When it's planting time, make sure you get some planting in. That's why, by the way, we are very intentional about what we're doing here with our school, with our Sunday school, with our young people. We know this is planting time. We may never have another chance. That's why we give it our best around here at the home church. We throw our weight behind doing good opportunities. Actually, the word opportunity is a Latin word that means toward the port. It means when you see the tide changing and when you see the wind coming, set your sails so it'll take you into the port. That's an opportunity. Folks, there are opportunities everywhere. And God says, do good to all men. The word do good is the word do something. Notice the word do. Do something. Do good. Now, I think we ought to say good things. That's good. But do something. It's actually the word ergon. It means manual labor. God is at work, and we should be at work for him. Jesus said in John 4, verse 34, it is my meat to do the will of him that sent me. May God help us to do the work of God. And as we do the work of God, we will follow in the steps of the Holy Spirit. God always is putting someone in our path. Let us do the work of Christ. And a little kindness can make a big difference. There is a song that the late Christian singer Rich Mullins sang. It's called Step My Step. Oh God, you are my God and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning and learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, I will follow you all my days. And that's the answer. Step by step, following the Spirit. God's done so much for us. Are we following Him? I'll share this story and we'll close this morning. I've mentioned this particular man before. His name is Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a world-renowned evangelist at the beginning of the 1900s. He held huge crusades. They were done in big tents and they build big uh, prefab like tabernacles of the day. He started out doing a lot of the physical work uh, himself, taking it down as well. The story is told that one day after a, a great crusade, many souls had come to Christ. Billy Sunday was there helping the workers take down the tent. And that's when a young man came running up out of nowhere, all out of breath. Are you Billy Sunday? He said, yes, I am. He said, could you please help me? 
He said, well, I will if I can. He said, I wanted to come to the crusade, but I missed it. I, I, I wanted to get here, but I wasn't able to, but I want to be saved. Could you tell me what to do that I could be saved? And Billy Sunday looked at him and said, I'm sorry, you're too late. He was taken back by the evangelist Kurt reply, and he said, wait, too late. He said, look, I know I missed the meeting, but tell me, what can I do to be saved? And then the evangelist looked squarely in his eye, and he said, no, young man, you're too late to do anything to be saved because Jesus did it all for you 2,000 years ago. But what you can do is accept the payment that he made. And my friend, that's what God is asking each of us here today. He'd say, well, what can I do? What you can do is accept the gift of God. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Our heads are bowed this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.